I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm Julia Gillard, and this is a podcast of one's own. At the Global Institute for Women's Leadership, we work on all of the barriers that prevent women coming through for leadership in all walks of life. We look at those barriers through the lens of work, but also what is happening at home. And if the pandemic has taught us anything, it's that these two things are fundamentally interconnected. We do know that the offering of uh, work-life flexibilities uh, by employers is often done in a spirit of generosity, but more done towards women than men, and men are less likely to take up those benefits. We are going to explore all of these issues today with a very expert panel. I'm going to turn first to one of the best-known names in British politics, uh, to Ed Miliband, who in recent times has been delving very deeply into this issue, writing about it, talking about it. Of course, he's got personal experience with trying to balance work and family life, of trying to be a good father while also having a very demanding job. His his demanding job right now is as Shadow Secretary of State for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy. He is the author of the well-named book, Go Big, How to Fix Our World. Ed, what are your policy prescriptions on this really vital issue? Well, well, Julia, can I just say what a pleasure it is to be with you on this um, panel? And also, I'm a long-time admirer of yours and a friend of yours, so... Uh, It's a particular pleasure to be sharing the panel um, uh, with you. I I should also say that I'm sort of not exactly wearing my shadow business secretary hat. I'm wearing my go big hat for the purposes of this uh, this panel. So, I mean, really, I I suppose I kind of started, uh, the the book is really about 20 ideas to, to make our world better. And I was very interested for kind of personal reasons in the whole issue of the father's role, uh, father's role in in bringing up kids and parental leave and so on. Um, Partly my own experience, you know, in this country, as everyone knows, we have two weeks paid paternity leave, uh, paid at £150 approximately a week. That's the statutory offering. And I suppose I was thinking, well, you know, what is it like in other countries of the world? And I kind of knew that other countries did better. And so I, I became very seized uh, in the course of the last few years by this idea of use it or lose it paternity leave. So this is paternity leave, which is reserved for the father. Um, I think in Iceland, which I think there's a sort of, there's a kind of global kind of competition to see who can do best on this. But I think Iceland has got up to something like six months, I think, for 
fathers and six months for mothers, but but uh, and then I think another six months. But I think I think if it's about four and a half months. Use it or lose it. Now, the the reason it's interesting is that we have in this country um, paid paternity leave. We also have something called shared parental leave, which is essentially mothers being able to share their care with the father. And and it was well intentioned when the coalition government bought it in, but it hasn't worked fundamentally. It's something like 2% of, I think, fathers use it, some very, very low percentage. Um, and I think it's interesting because the Scandinavian countries also had shared a version of shared parental leave and, and uh, it didn't work for them either. And that was in the 1970s, they brought that in. And they have increasingly, the, the Nordics in general, have, have really moved to this use it or lose it paid leave. And it, and it you know, what are the benefits of it? Well, obviously it gives father's time off when their baby is born. It doesn't assume as the current system in the UK does that it's a brief pit stop, you know, from the hospital back to work. Um, it's, there's a lot of evidence uh, out there that it increases the kind of bonding of the father with the baby and then the, later on as the child grows up and that has long lasting effects but crucially also if you really want to tackle the gender pay gap and gender inequality if we continue to assume this very very unbalanced set of assumptions uh, about who takes the time off um, when a baby is born you know it's no wonder that the gender pay gap explodes um, after children are born so and, and I think, and I think, finally, Julie, I think it's sort of, it kind of, it redraws the assumptions about what really matters, about whether it's work that you know, you know, so often the, the our economy is shaped around men's lives, and it and it sort of assumes that work is really the thing that counts and is the top of the hierarchy. And I think it's saying, hang on, it's not just for women that are mothers that you know, family is higher up the hierarchy. It's also for fathers as well. And I think that is quite, I think that is a really important sort of, you know, uh, statement. And, and all of the evidence is that British men would like to, fathers would like to take more time off, but face big financial barriers to doing so. So Ed, I'd like to drill into a few of those threads. I mean, one thread is that the entitlement hasn't been available in a profound way for men to take uh, a longer period of time off. But another thread, I think, is that there's this societal um, shaping of norms and consequently potentially even a bit of a stigma for a father who goes into their employer and says, I don't want to just take two weeks in, in your uh, language, you know, go to the hospital, do a, a brief pit stop at home and then I'll be back full time. Um, I actually want to take a, a substantial period of time off. And then I think a third thread is this intersection with uh, the gender pay gap. And it seems to me that uh, this is both a driver of who takes time off and then a shaper of the gender pay gap in the future. So for many families, um, if you are just doing the absolutely rational economic decision, he, the father, uh, will be the higher income earner. And so if someone's employment is going to give way, it makes sense for the employment of the person who earns less, most likely the mother. So can I just get you to talk about each of those threads? Maybe let's start with the gender pay gap. How, how do you see that as both a driver and being shaped by who takes leave? And what can we do about it? Well, I think this is a very, very important point, Julia, and I think it is. it does partly arise from our pretty miserly um, £150 a week, which is both the statutory paternity uh, pay level, uh, but is also after the, after the six weeks, the statutory maternity pay 
um, level as well. It's important to point that out. And you know, the the, the significant in in couples, the significant majority have the higher earner being the man. And therefore, if you're basically saying, look, it's 150 quid a week, um, and that's all you're going to get, this is the shared parental leave part of this. Um, why would it be the case that, you know, the, as you say, the rational economic decision is therefore, you know, fundamentally for for um, for the father to go back to work, and and so, you know, the gender pay gap obviously shapes that, um, but then but then exacerbates it because. I think all the evidence is, is that if, if if these are the assumptions, if this is what happens in terms of time out from work, and it's and it's 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 uh, predominantly women taking time, mothers taking time off work, not not fathers, it, it it all has it all has knock on consequences for the gender pay gap. Um, that's my sense. So I think you're you're absolutely right that it's a sort of it's a consequence and a cause. Um, and you know, I'm not suggesting that. That dealing with that, that having paid um, use it or lose it paid potentially is a on its own a panacea, but I think it would, I think it would have an impact, and I think, you know, there are interesting examples. Aviva, the um, company in the UK, has done this. I think six months. I think for for offered offer for fathers and mothers, um, and it and you know. Surprise, surprise, or maybe not surprise, paid at a decent rate. A surprise, surprise, and not surprisingly, uh, you know, it's not quite equal in terms of who's taken the time, but I think it's it's nearly there. So, so it's had, you know, it, it does have real effects. And in a way, you know, culture is shaped by laws. Um, you know, uh, culture shapes laws and and policy, but but also policy and laws shape culture. And if and if all of the assumptions are in one remain in one direction. I, I kind of think it's almost like what's happened is that the the, the paternity, leave, paternity pay and leave and the shared parental leave are like a bolt-on to an old set of assumptions. It's sort of like, well, the old assumption was, was the mother stayed at home and the father was out to work. We'll, we'll add on a bit to sort of change that a bit. But, it, but nobody can say that if you were starting from first principles, this is a system you would come up with. On the use it or lose it, I think um, we, we need to just explain that a little bit and how it relates to uh, some of these potentially social stigmas, social stereotyping issues. So, I mean, the, the old-fashioned way you refer to is a tiny little bit of paternity leave. Another model is saying to couples you can have a shared entitlement, but we know from the shared entitlement that disproportionately it's women who take it up. The use it or lose it model is one where uh, you say specifically to uh, to uh, men or to uh, the non-birth parent, um, you know, you you have your own entitlement. Either you use it or you don't. Uh, you can't transfer it. So use it or lose it. How do you think that helps with these stigma questions? Is it just simply easier? for a man to go into an employer and say, look, I'd be an absolute mug um, if I didn't access this paid leave entitlement. It's there for me. If I don't access it, it'll be gone. Um, I want to access it. Is that an easier conversation than saying, for example, I've got a shared entitlement with my partner um, and I want to use a lot of that shared entitlement rather than transferring it to her? Yeah, yes. I mean, I think that's a really interesting um, uh, question to ask. I think, I think it's, I think it probably operates at a number of different levels. I think, you know, I think if the 
it's this point about policy shaping culture. I think if the if if the state were to say this and to say this was this was available, it, it's it, it, it's almost like it is reflecting society's assumption that fathers have a crucial role in relation to their children, to their babies. And, and by making that assumption, I think it sort of sends a message to employers as well, really. Um, and obviously it will become a legal entitlement, whereas it's not, you know, uh, to have this leave, whereas, um, you know, if you want to take more than two weeks, you can take the shared parental leave, but it has all these costs and, and so on. So, so I think it's I think it's sort of making quite a big statement. Um, I also think it probably operates. It probably operates a little bit in the home as well, in the following sense that the the shared parental leave is essentially the mother saying, "I will devolve some of my leave to you as the father," and that is quite a different way of thinking about it. And people did make this point at the time it was being introduced. Some of the expert testimony said, look, we're worried about this because we're worried it sort of, it still puts it on the mother to say, well, I'm going to give some of this away. And that is kind of, that is a particular way of thinking about it. Whereas if you're actually saying it's not giving it away, it's actually, this is a father's entitlement. I think it, I think it sends a very, very different, it sends a very different message. And as I say, there is quite a lot of evidence um, that, that, that British fathers feel the most frustrated financially of, of a number of countries about not being able to spend more time at home. So I sort of think, you know, some people will think, well, is this just too nanny statish? But I don't think it is. I think it's going with the grain of where people are. Um, uh, but, but, but it is also sending out a set of assumptions and it's sort of reflecting and sending out a set of assumptions to society, I guess. And how would such a scheme be financed? I mean, what would be the expectation of government's role and employers' role? Well, look, there's different ways of doing that. I mean, you know, it, it tends to be financed by government one way or the other. I mean, I think, I think, you know, you'd have to look at that, and I don't go into this in the book, um, but, I, I, you know, I think I, I would say this, which is... There's clearly financing issues. There's a lot of competing demands on government. But I think we've got to start thinking about this investment in families as an investment. And, you know, in a way, it's part of the whole nexus in the Nordic countries around universal childcare, a good parental leave system for mothers and fathers. But it's important to say our maternity leave system is also uh, inadequate in terms of pay, I've, I've sort of, as I've, I've mentioned. Um, so, so, you know, yes, there's a cost. It would be an investment. I think it would be a worthwhile investment. Um, and, and, you know, look, I think if we don't do this, we will continue to have, we will continue to have a massive gender pay gap. I think we will continue to hold back our economy. I think, you know, if we want to get employment rates up higher, um, we've, got to, we've got to make it possible for, for mothers and fathers to properly balance work and family life. Um, that's the, that, that is where universal childcare, you know, decently affordable universal childcare would make a big difference. So I think it's part of a nexus of things that say, look, we, this is an investment. You know, people say investment in bridges or roads is an investment, of course it is. But this is an investment too. And I think the Scandinavian countries are very, very good at, 
at um, I've got a quote in the book from uh, the Prime Minister of Iceland, sort of saying, you know, there's this there's this attempt to kind of divide, you know, investment in sort of human infrastructure and physical infrastructure and investment in in you know in 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 human capital is is an absolutely crucial investment that we can make, and and you know I, I think I, I think it's a really important sort of shift that we have to that we have to undertake. Looking back on your own life, I mean, how did you manage it? Uh, Badly. (laughs) Badly. I mean, it was sort of, you know, when my son Daniel was born, I was the climate change secretary and I was jetting around the world before the Copenhagen uh, uh, summit. Um, I did take two, I did take the paternity leave. Um, uh, And then when my son Sam was born, I was the Labour leader. Um, and I did also take the paternity leave, um, which actually did lead to some grumbling. Now, I, I think maybe the grumbling was more about my leadership than about my paternity leave. But, uh, you know, um, it's it's difficult. I mean, it is really, really hard, this, I think. You know, and, and this is what I mean about the expectations. You see, if you think about this thing that I'm saying that people were, um, you know, grumbling and so on. I suspect the same would be true today. I don't think that shared parental leave, the system we've got, has sort of put on the map the idea that, yes, fathers have this entitlement to more than two weeks. It's sort of like, well, maybe you can have it if, you know, you decide to transfer, et cetera. Whereas I think this is why, the as I say, I'm not saying it's a panacea, but I think use it or lose it would send quite a powerful signal about what we want to do as a country. But anyway, I did not. I did not handle it well, and you know, look, it, it, losing an election is not um, is it, not fun. Um, but I often do, you know, think, and I, my my kids who are now eleven and twelve, I think, would definitely agree that you know, from the point of view of me, and I, I personally think the country, but for, you know, it, it's not wasn't the good outcome. But from the, their point of view, it probably was quite a good outcome because um, you know that they, they've been able to spend a lot more time with me in the last six years than you know otherwise would have been able to. Yeah, these uh, personal experiences help us think about public policy, don't they? We bring our whole selves to these debates. I'm going to turn now to uh, Shoanna Davidson, who is joining us from uh, the Behavioural Insights team. I'm sure many people would be familiar with the work of the Behavioural Insights team. Uh, she leads the Equality, Diversity and Inclusion team there, and she's been working on gender and behavioural insights, which is really taking us to the cutting edge of research on how people think about these questions. I'm going to turn to her now for some insights on this topic. Shoanna, over to you. Thanks so much, Julia. And I'm just going to share my screen because I'm going to be talking through the presentation now. So um, I'm going to be discussing some recent evidence we've generated on what works to support men to share the care. Um, This is from a government-funded research programme where we worked with a whole range of employers um, developing interventions across the employee life cycle to improve gender equality. And this is just one research problem or or trial that I'm presenting today, but we kept coming back to this issue, which is what Ed's already kind of spoken about, which is the fact that a really large driver of the gender pay gap is these kind of gender divisions and what happens just before and after a child is born. And so I think this graph is just really stark in showing us that the gender pay gap exists before people have their first child, but it just grows massively thereafter and kind of continues um, to grow for the next 20 or so years. And so a really, really large part of that, of course, is the fact that women take longer leave, they're more likely to work part-time and they suffer penalties associated with that. 
Um, and as Ed has already kind of laid out, we know that if men kind of take longer care, that rebalances and kind of sets um, kind of responsibilities for the future. Um, but what I'm going to be talking about today is some of the solutions around this. So what we do know is that whilst there's issues with the structure of kind of paternity leave and shared parental care in this country, um, even so, there are also kind of additional behavioural barriers which prevent men from taking longer care. And so we partnered with Santander UK for this research. And Santander UK have kind of more generous individual policies. So in that company, eligible secondary carers are entitled to take four weeks of paternity leave, which doesn't kind of take away from what their partner can take, and 16 weeks of paid uh, shared parental leave. So in both of these situations, they're not financially disincentivized from taking longer leave. And yet, even so, Santander was discovering that still less than half of men were taking kind of above four weeks. Um, so men weren't making use of that full entitlement, um, which suggests that there are other behavioral barriers at play. Very similarly, they have a kind of flexible working policies, but they were finding that uptake wasn't that high among men. So we hypothesize that one of the reasons that this might be is a concept known as pluralistic ignorance. And this describes a situation where the majority of people hold the same opinion, but they mistakenly believe that other people think differently. So a really um, kind of uh, a context where this has really been shown is with students and alcohol consumption on university campuses. So lots of students, if you ask them how much do you want to drink, they say not that much but then they really think their peers are drinking a lot more and so they will drink more to fit in. Um, so this is really natural human behaviour. And we thought this might be happening when it comes to men and care. So men might want to take longer parental leave. They might be supportive of their peers who do so. But they might think that's actually not the kind of social or societal uh, norm and that they would therefore be penalised and their career would suffer as a result. And this might therefore put them off that. Um, and what we find is that pluralistic ignorance often occurs when norms are evolving very rapidly. And this is definitely the case when you look at gendered norms kind of in the UK over the last 30 or so years. So what we wanted to do is find out whether this was actually happening in Santander UK. And to do so, we set out to run an online baseline survey to collect what people's current views were and also their perceptions around what their colleagues' beliefs were. Um, those are around parental leave and flexible working. We also wanted to capture their knowledge of Santander policies to make sure that um, men knew what they were entitled to. Um, and demographic data. Um, and this first uh, survey, we sent about a thousand men at Santander UK in January to February, 2020. In terms of what this looked like in practice, just springs to life a little bit. We essentially asked a whole series of questions about men's personal opinions. And later we basically reversed these and turned them on their head so that men were answering from the perspective of a colleague or a manager. So one example here is that we asked, how many weeks of parental leave would you encourage a male colleague to take? And later in the survey, we said, how many weeks of parental leave would men in your workplace encourage a male colleague to take? So getting them to estimate what those norms were. And this really allowed us to see if there was a gap between those personal uh, kind of opinions and people's perceptions of others. What we found then in terms of the results was that there was this gap, which meant pluralistic ignorance was occurring. So when it came to parental leave, we found that on average, men said that they would encourage other men to take eight weeks of leave but they only thought that their peers would encourage six weeks. So there was a difference there of around 20 to 25%, depending on whether they were answering from the perspective of a peer or a manager. And flexible working, we also had this kind of sizable gap in that participants, when asked, assumed that 65% of their colleagues would encourage male colleagues to work flexibly to 
balance work and non-work responsibilities. And in reality, 99% would do. So a really big gap there. The other thing that we looked into was if there was evidence of negative stereotypes. So we also asked questions such as, you know, did men who took longer leave, were they seen as less or more competent? Or were they seen as as committed to their work as men who didn't take leave? And more promisingly there, we found very little evidence of these negative stereotypes. So that was really, really helpful. So now that we knew that pluralistic ignorance was occurring, the next step was to see if we could do something about that and whether kind of combating pluralistic ignorance would help men to feel more comfortable taking longer leave and working flexibly. So this time we ran another survey, uh, but as a randomized controlled trial. And what that meant is that we separated all of the participants into two groups, a control version and a treatment version. And everyone saw an identical survey, apart from the fact that participants in the treatment version received feedback based on the views that we had collected in the baseline survey. So what they saw was at the beginning of the survey, they saw this screen and it said, family leave, what some Santander colleagues already told us. We already asked some male colleagues in Santander their views on family leave. Their responses revealed that the majority of male respondents would encourage their male colleagues to take five or more weeks of family leave. So this was based on that first survey. And as a reminder, only participants in the treatment group saw this, participants in the control group did not. Later in the survey, we also gave them feedback on the flexible working um, element. And so this was worded very similarly, and it said almost 100% of male respondents would encourage their male colleagues to work flexibly in order to balance their work and non-work responsibilities. And so all the other questions are identical. At the beginning of the survey, so straight after they saw feedback, we asked men about what their future intentions would be. So if they were to have a child, how much leave would they like to take? And would they like to plan to work flexibly in the future? And otherwise, we were just asking similar questions to the baseline survey. So in terms of the results, what we found was that men saw that feedback, so they were in the treatment condition, were significantly more likely to plan to take between five to eight weeks of parental leave. There was an increase of 62% in the treatment condition compared to the control. However, we also found this unintentional effect where we also saw that there was a reduction in men who are planning to take over 16 weeks of leave. So what you can see on this graph is that essentially we altered the distribution of responses. So men who previously may have taken less than two weeks or three to four weeks were more likely to shift up taking five to eight weeks. But at the other end of the scale, men who might have been thinking about taking more than 16 weeks may have also reduced that. So there's kind of unintentional effect. We think the reason that might have been is that we might have unintentionally angered people to taking five to eight weeks by kind of setting this new social norm. So by saying majority of people supported five to eight weeks, Men who might have been thinking about taking longer might also go, oh, maybe I should take five to eight weeks. So this was a little bit worrying. And we wanted to kind of look into this more. So we actually had the chance to replicate this trial with a second global bank. And this time we rephrased the feedback to try to see if we could avoid this effect. So here, what we did was we made a different range of numbers more salient rather than just talking about that middle range. So we talked about inviting 1,000 men to take the survey. We talked about the fact that seven in 10 managers said they would support men taking at least six weeks, but of those, 74% were supportive of men taking 12 weeks or more. So really trying to make it clear that there was still support at the high end of the scale. And this time, what we saw was that we, we had a similar effect in terms of increasing the number of men who wanted to take five to eight weeks of leave. We managed to reduce a significant reduction at that longer end of the scale. So that was really, really promising. Um, going back to Santander, we also looked, of course, at flexible working, and here, much more kind of simply, the results were positive in that we saw that we significantly increased the proportion of men saying that they planned uh, to work flexibly in the future uh, by 
which might not sound like much, but as you can see um, on this scale, there was already quite a high proportion of men who wanted to do that. So we may have been limited by a bit of a ceiling effect. So um, that was quite a lot of information um, on that research study. So just in terms of summarizing the key takeaways, we find that even when uh, the right structural incentives are in place, there are still behavioral barriers that prevent men from taking longer care and from working flexibly. And we know that social norms are really influential, that we take cues around how to behave from others and we like to fit in the crowd, that's really natural, but that can be particularly dangerous when we do misinterpret group norms. So in these cases of pluralistic ignorance, if you do find that pluralistic ignorance is occurring, providing accurate feedback can help target that. So in this research, we found that it helped men um, to feel like they could plan to work flexibly and take longer parental leave in the future. It also increased their support for other men to do those things, and it reduced that gap between actual received norms. Um, if you as an organisation are looking to do this, then do start by measuring existing attitudes and making sure that you understand what the social norms in the organisation are. Um, you don't have to be limited to sharing feedback through a survey. That was part of this research design. But whatever you normally do, so posters, emails, case studies, whatever it is, you can use whatever communication channels are open to you. And do try to avoid this anchoring effect by, again, you know, communicating social norms, also what men are entitled to and the kind of what the policy enables men to take. Um, so just um, to say, if you are interested in knowing more, we do have resources available on our website. So we've got a blog, a much more detailed report. We go into a lot more detail infographics and animation videos you can share with colleagues um, and do feel free to get in touch with any questions um, and I will now try to stop sharing my screen. Thank you so much that's a fascinating data set uh, to see uh, and it's going to help us as we now dive into uh, lived experience and perceptions about taking leave and on that I'm going to turn to Drew Gibson. Drew thank you for joining us. Uh, Drew is an experienced wellbeing, culture, inclusion and communications professional. Uh, he worked for Santander and, of course, uh, that was where Shoanna started uh, with the research project. Uh, he's particularly passionate about this uh, area of uh, shared uh, parental responsibility. He's also passionate about mental well-being, and I think the two of those things are very much linked. Uh, Drew, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you've lived this personally? Yes, thank you, Julia. And it's, it's lovely to be here as, uh, to take part in such a, an important conversation. So, yes, I'm, I'm a dad of one. I have my son, Rupert, who's, who's two and a half. Um, and I took 16 weeks of shared parental leave when he was when he was first born. So, um, well, I took eight of those straight after he was born and then a further eight when he was around about a, a year old. So um, those times to me were, were so valuable, both initially in helping you find your feet and both in, enjoy and endure those early weeks. I think they're, they're wonderful, but also um, they're all, all consuming as you make that adjustment to be to be parents. So um, I know that that most men only take two to four weeks of, of parental leave here in the UK. And I remember feeling during that time that I was in no way ready to return to work. So I was both exhausted physically, but also my mind was completely elsewhere. It was at home um, with, with my son during that time. So after that initial eight weeks, I was in a much better place to return to work. I was um, still exhausted, but it, it, it still starting to feel settled enough and ready mentally to start to, to make that adjustment to um, focusing both on, on work and, and home at the same time. 
Um, I chose I chose to take the second eight weeks when Rupert was around a year old. So this was coincided with when his his mother was due to go back to work, and this was partly so that Rupert could have longer at home before he went to nursery, um, but also so that I could spend some real time bonding with my son, where it was just the two of us. So. During, during pregnancy and in, in the early months of, of their lives, it can be, or I found it difficult as a man to always know what your, what your role is. You, you can't carry the child, you don't give birth to the child or you can't breastfeed them. So you're, you're trying to find what is your role here. So it, for me, I don't think it was, um, rather than taking on that, that secondary supportive role, when I took that additional eight weeks of shared parental leave, um, when my son was one year old, I think that was the moment that I really stepped forward as a dad and, and, and really um, started to develop that, developing my own right as being a dad and being able to step forward, but also develops that really strong role, uh, that really strong bond with my son that we still have today. So um, I'm incredibly grateful that I had the opportunity to do that um, at, at Santander. But I just wanted to, to link that back to one of um, Ed's points and what Shoshana was talking about as well. Um, in, in the research at Santander, we have um, we, we pay shared parental pay up to 20 weeks as well. It was uh, 16 at the time when I took it, which is why that's the amount of time that I, I took. If that wasn't there and I wasn't offered that level of pay, quite simply, I wouldn't have been able to afford to do that either. So it isn't just about the being offered the shared parental leave. It's essential that the shared parental uh, pay is there to go alongside it as well. Can I ask you, Drew, what were the attitudes at work uh, to you taking the first period of leave? And was it a bit different when you took the second period of leave? Were people, you know, again, you're going, you're going <laughs> off again? Was there a bit more resistance at that point? It was interesting because you compare it to what, in, in some ways, you realise you're experiencing what probably a lot of, of mothers have, have felt at different times, but you're also aware you're, you're experiencing a, a smaller, more limited version of it. I think guys that, that men that, that take shared parental leave, there is often this, this applauding that they're doing it, that they're doing something really new and, and novel and, and it's um, in a way that where it's just expected of women. I think for women, it can be accompanied with both that expectation um, of, of being there at home but you also have the guilt of feeling like you, you aren't able to do it all. There's, there's that expectation, whereas men are more readily praised for it, I think. Um, I also noticed that because it was two shorter periods of, of eight weeks or so, the world doesn't necessarily move, move on away from you at work in the same way that it does for women. Um, nobody was there to, to uh, fill in my role in terms of a maternity leave or my role was still there when I went back after eight weeks because that isn't quite the same as when you're looking at nine to 12 um, months. So I, I think you're still, I was still sheltered from that, that somewhat, which shows that even me taking shared parental leave, it was nowhere near um, equal and, and, and where we need to be, which again, Ed talks about in having that more equal use it or, or lose it period as well, which would do more to help that. Um, it was interesting taking the second eight weeks because there was more of a, again, there was, have you had another baby? Is that, no, no, it's still the same one. It's just, I split. So there was some explaining to do where it's quite new and it was an interesting way of taking it, but um, it, it, it works for me. And I think that's the main point is you need to um, empower people to look at their situation and choose how to use their, their parental leave, however works best for them. 
And what about any uh, stigma outside the workplace? We've had some stuff coming in on the question line uh, about uh, men, you know, uh, confronting uh, some raised eyebrows when they're the one uh, going to, uh, you know, nursery group or other play activities and they're the only man who's there with a child amongst a group of mothers. Uh, did you feel any of that when you were undertaking the leave and, and taking your son around? To, to a certain extent, you do. And I think you, you can almost split it into, in, into two. I think lots of people, and it shows in the research Shoshana was showing, that people are, are supportive in, in theory about um, more flexible working, shared parental leave. It is whether that, that, that uh, filters through to how it works in practice. So people are really supportive. I think as a man, you're more readily praised for doing it. So that, there's that, that that works in your, your favour. But also you do still feel the effects of um when there is a meeting at nine o'clock and it's in an office and you'd have to get a train to get there and when you're um when you're you're co-parenting like I am as well and you've got to get your son to nursery you just can't be there and you still feel some of that pressure or expectation in that way so I think there's a there's that um we're a bit misaligned between how people feel about it in theory and in practice so I've experienced some of that where a new project or meeting comes up and you're not necessarily put forward for it or you hear the, the words along the lines of oh but maybe you wouldn't want to do this at work because of that at home um, which I think was interesting so we've got further to go to uh, make that a, a reality I think. It's a very interesting insight. Now, drawing off uh, questions that are coming in, uh, and I'm, I'm happy to uh, take anybody's contribution on this, but there's a, a set of questions around um, class effectively and where people are in the labour market uh, and uh, whether we would expect to see uh, more resistance uh, in uh, blue collar jobs, you know, for example, the construction industry or maybe transport and logistics, uh, whether we would uh, expect to see more resistance to men taking off uh, longer periods of time than perhaps in white collar jobs. Uh, and obviously, Drew, your experience has been in a white collar job and Shoanna's research comes out of uh, looking at, uh, you know, white collar um, industries. Um, Ed, have you got a reflection on that? What role does class play? Well, see, I think this is what's interesting is that I think the more, you know, voluntaristic this is in terms of businesses you know, enable. I, I mentioned Aviva earlier on, Santander, obviously, uh, and I thought Shishana's researches were incredibly interesting, as was Drew's testimony. Uh, Santander obviously does stuff on this. I think you are you you are making it quite capricious, and I suspect it will probably be, you know, the companies at the higher end uh, that will be doing this, more like professional services companies and so on, and therefore. I think I think part of the states having a role in this is making sure that kind of everyone can uh, benefit from it. I think it's also really worth saying, um, and this is sort of quite complex, but shared parental leave. There's there's quite up to half of families aren't actually eligible for it because there's a whole set of qualifications for it around how long you've been in work, what the nature of the work is. And it's also got to apply to both partners. So it, it's quite complex. And it was actually quite complex for me to get to the bottom of these numbers. But, but the, the numbers I got back from the House of Commons Library said it was a sort of, it was a reasonable assumption. So, so I think there's quite a lot of people who are not eligible for this. And that is a class effect. 
it's the more temporary your work, um, the more insecure your work, the less likely you are to be eligible for it. So I think sort of for all these reasons, we need kind of more guarantees. I should also say, Julia, maybe I didn't make this clearer earlier. It's come up in the chat. You did ask me and I wasn't very clear about it. I mean, the, the key thing about use it or lose it is if the father doesn't take it, then it can't be taken by the mother. I mean, it's basically either the father takes it or it's just, you know, it, 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 nobody's entitled to it. So, so it's sort of in a way, it's a kind of, it, it's a kind of binary choice in that sense. Drew or Shoanna, do you have any reflections on that question of class and, and position in the labour market? And I might add to that, uh, it's not, uh, I there's some questions coming in, not just about uh, occupations, uh, but also about employment um, or, or working structures. So are we talking about something that uh, matters for employees and is a credible policy move for employees, but not credible for those who work in the gig economy or are self-employed, run small businesses? How do we conceptualise that? I think it would be a really interesting one to explore in terms of the detailed research. I think if I was thinking about what I would expect to see, I think you would probably have something along the lines of in um, lower social economic backgrounds, I think it was probably going to prove more difficult to be able to take shared parental leave, linking back to that question of um, availability, finances, how likely your employer is to offer it, how likely you are to qualify for it. And that will feed through into, again, what are those social norms and expectations that are there? Um, so this is, we're not just dealing with the last 20 or so years of ingrained gender roles here, we're talking of hundreds of years, if not thousands, so that isn't something that you change overnight, and it's going back to Shoshana's, the, the research that we're talking about here, we're seeing that so much of that is still just, um, that, that we're still not overcoming that, and we need that reinforcement over time, you need to be able to see it, and you need to be able to make it possible for people to take it and keep talking about it and raise that awareness as well. So the other thing I was just going to say is even though I'm here talking about my experience of shared parental leave, I wasn't, it wasn't something that I actively explored, it was only when my manager came to me and, and asked me if I was considering it that I really thought about it, so that explains that just how much of it is just about, some of it will be pluralistic ignorance and wondering what other people think, some of it is it just doesn't come into our way of thinking because it isn't what's normal, and I think um, we're going to see that move at different paces, depending on, as, as Ed's talking about, across different countries, but of course across different industries um, and, and, and social classes as well. Yeah, I guess um, I think I probably don't have a lot to add, but just that um, there's going to be very different barriers in place for all sorts of different reasons. And so finance is going to be particularly a barrier where people are not entitled to share parental leave, which might be the case more in kind of when you're self-employed and kind of working in the gig economy and factors like that, which means that social norms probably are going to be less important if you are trying to support men to take the care in those uh, environments. But I wouldn't say that social norms are necessarily going to be less favourable. Um, social norms are kind of such a product of the individual culture and they vary even within organisations, within teams, within departments, within organisations. This research was Santander UK, uh, but of course, even with the financial sector, I'm sure different companies have very different norms and different companies will be more or less accepting of dads who take longer leave. And so I wouldn't assume that yeah, social norms are going to necessarily differ by class. Um, but I would say that uh, it's important to recognise the range of barriers um, and that this is only kind of one uh, solution to this wider problem. 
Thank you. There, there are also some uh, questions about, and Drew, you actually uh, raised this, that uh, corporations are less likely to backfill uh, for a man who is uh, taking taking time off uh, versus a maternity leave cover for a woman who is taking time off. Uh, and is that actually uh, creating a barrier? Uh, is that perhaps part of the next step that as we uh, seek to normalise men taking longer periods of time off, uh, that there does need to be that cover because part of the barrier could otherwise end up being that you don't want to go back to, um, you know, complete chaos, uh, you know, a, a million emails and heavens knows what else might have built up um, in, in the period that you're taking off. Um, are there any reflections on that? I think Ed, Ed talked about it really well when he was talking about the way that we, we've done legislation, especially in the UK, is, is different bits bolted on <laughs> over, over time. So that we're still, whilst we're talking about shared parental leave, that implication that it's a woman having to give up her right to leave for a man to, to be ordered to take it just sends just the worst message possible, I think, especially with we know with being a, a parent and being a mom, it's so, so laced with guilt and expectation and trying to, to balance everything at once. So I think it's, it's really, really difficult to um, change unless you do look at, at starting again and, and looking at what, what, what would really work. How do we just say, essentially, whether it's man, woman, whether it's whatever, however you're going about having a child, whether it's through adoption, surrogacy, or whether it is great, a, a child has been born, a child is here, here is X amount of um, leave. How do you want to take it? Until you get to that point, I think you're con going to continue to see barriers just in terms of it still isn't it still isn't as equal as it could be so until you get to that point i don't think you're going to see i think what we're doing with shared parental leave helps to reduce um the inequality and will help somewhat with the gender pay gap but it isn't going to go all the way until you um until you really do just uh, make it equal in that sense I, I, Julia, I would just add, I think Drew's right about this, and, and it's really, the chat is a really interesting, um, there's really interesting uh, points being made in the chat. I think somebody's made the point that a mother's got to write to her employer to sort of say, I'm sacrificing some of my leave for, to, to my partner, which is just incredibly odd. When you think about it, it's just an incredibly odd dynamic that you are um, creating. But I, I, I think this point about, you know, the ad hoc nature of this, of the shared parental leave arrangements, does make it culturally different. I mean, you know, if it, if it was the case, imagine a world in which you had 12 weeks, for example, use it or lose it, uh, paid paternity leave, employers would kind of know, well, that's a, that's a thing that we're going to have to deal with. We're going to have a three-month period where we need to, you know, uh, replace that, that person who's off and it would just become part of the norm a bit like you know maternity leave is part of the norm um and and you know people would people would adapt to it but i think the more ad hoc it is the more it, it, it isn't part of the fabric and and i think it, it, it sort of becomes much more much more problematic so so i think it's a really good point that's been made and coming in on the chat too, uh, there's a lot of uh, comments about uh, role modelling. I mean, and I'll, I'll ask the, the whole group this question, but Ed, starting with you, I mean, you know, 
can you imagine a day where we see a male prime minister take uh, 12 weeks off because a child's been born in his family? I mean, obviously, uh, we've witnessed uh, Jacinda Ardern being the second woman in the world uh, to have a baby in office. And she took, I can't remember how many weeks, but she took a relatively brief uh, period of leave. And her partner is the um principal uh, caregiver in the sense that he's uh, the one who hasn't been working whilst she's got on with being Prime Minister. Uh, but can can you imagine seeing a male Prime Minister role modelling like that from the top? I mean, these things are impossible until they happen and then they seem absolutely normal. <laughs> you know, you don't, I don't see why not. I mean, Prime Ministers have deputies. You know, what? why not? I mean, actually, what, what you know, it would send a very... Um, it would send a very important signal, wouldn't it? I mean, it would send a signal about what matters and, and what's valuable and, uh, and, and you know, the role of dads and so on. So, you know, as I say, I, it might seem, well, is it hard to, hard to imagine? But, I, you know, it, it's, it may be hard to imagine at the current moment, but I don't think it's at all impossible. And looking at the corporate world, uh, Shoanna and uh, Drew, you might want to uh, comment on this. I mean, how... How far away is it that we see the CEO of a major global company uh, role model taking this kind of leave? It goes back to the question almost in reverse about what type of work you are doing. In, in certain um, areas of work, I think it will be more, more difficult than, than others, whether that's what role you are or what level of seniority you are at. Um, I think as you get through to more senior levels in an organisation, it becomes that much more valuable and sends a stronger message if you're able to do it. But it can also become that much harder for you to um, be able to take take that time. And when, I'm not just talking about shared parental leave here. I think I'm talking about parental leave in general. So I'm sure there's lots of um, senior senior women who have had that same conundrum when they get to that level of an organ. And, and you're making that decision around, do I want to progress my career or do I want to take time off and have a family? And it's, um, I, I think it's not impossible it can happen and we'll see more and more of it. But I think it's definitely can, can still be more difficult at those senior levels. Yeah, and I would just add that I think probably the next step of that as well is not only making it possible for people to take this leave, but also making it possible for them to come back and work kind of flexibly and work part time, um, because we know that is so critical and so many women kind of fail to progress once they start working part time because those roles just aren't available at senior levels. And so normalising that is also such a key part of this challenge. That's a very important reminder. We've obviously been focused on the leave, but unless we normalise too uh, the part-time flexible work arrangements and uh, I think part of what comes from Drew's lived experience is having the conversation. Um, I think it would be quite normal to have the conversation with a woman who's returning from maternity leave. What are her expectations about to returning full-time or not returning full-time and employers wouldn't be surprised if she says, no, I want to return on more limited hours, whereas uh, do they even have that conversation with uh, men uh, who have had uh, a child in their family or are returning from a period of paternity leave? Um, I think uh, one thing I'd be interested in people's reflections on is uh, we're, we're talking about this in a very... Um, uh, sort of stylized sense of people are at work or they're on leave. Um, in, the, in the world emerging from the pandemic, how porous are those concepts going to be? 
and how much should we welcome that and how much should we be afraid of it? Um, I mean, you can easily imagine uh, whether it's a, uh, anybody on any form of parental leave uh, now being asked, well, yes, you're on parental leave, but what about you still Zoom in for the weekly staff meeting so you stay across what's happening? Or what about you just virtually finish off uh, this project because it's so pivotal to, um, uh, to the business? I mean, how should we think about that? Is that a welcome flexibility or is it going to be something that uh, really encroaches on what should be dedicated family time? Uh, Ed, you would have had a bit of, yes, you're I, on leave, but can you still run out for a press conference <laughs> kind of requests? I mean, <laughs> I, 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 you know, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, how one's thinking evolves on this. I think that you're right to highlight the real dangers of this, Julia, actually that the breaking down of the barriers between home and work, you know, which in some sense, you know, hybrid working and so on might have seemed like a, a boon and a sort of step forward, that it's got real danger. I mean, I actually have been discussing this with my staff. I mean, politics is a, it's very, you know, problematic in this respect in any case. And I was, I was actually, we were discussing it recently and I was saying, you know, in a sense, politics, even before the pandemic had this problem, that the, the boundaries were very porous. Um, but I think you're right to say that more generally, I think it's, it's, this is a real danger, that it's sort of like, well, you know, you may be off, but you're not really off. You're sort of, and, and actually speaking personally, I find sort of, I find this being on holiday, you know, if you're on holiday, but you're sort of a, a little bit still engaged, it's quite difficult to really be on holiday because you spend your time sort of, it's very hard to switch off. You, I, I find, I don't know how you found this, but you know, I find it easier to either switch off or not switch off, but I find that sort of the, the midpoint quite difficult because you end up being switched on. You know, you can't, you can't be half switched off really. I, 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 at least that's my experience. There are other reflections on this. I, I certainly agree with you. And I, I, um, uh, one thing that does uh, very much strike me is the uh, the the out of office message, which isn't really an out of office message. So you send someone an email and you get the bounce back that they're on leave, um, and then a couple of hours later you look down at your device and they've answered you anyway. Uh, so I mean, people are living, I think, a lot in this uh, twilight world. Uh, other reflections on that? Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say. I think you're right. You're asking that it's a huge question that all big organisations and organisations of all sides are asking themselves currently is to how do we uh, maximise the opportunity here and minimise some of the risks and challenges that we see, I think, particularly around switching off um, and mental health. I'm going to be slightly more optimistic and focus on some of the opportunities. And, and you mentioned, Julia, about it being normal for a woman to come back from maternity leave to be asked, how often do you want to work? What do you want? work to look like how can we help you work flexibly and it's great that that's normal now one of the things I noticed during the pandemic is I don't think many men who work professionally had ever been asked that conversation ever been asked that question until now until they've been working from home in in many roles for you know 12 to 18 months and then suddenly there is this question about going back to the office and what does that look like and men have, have been at home in a way they might not have considered otherwise because of those those gender stereotypes and norms and have got to experience what it's like to um, help out more with 
take a more active role when it comes to caring responsibilities or appreciate and enjoy being at home and being able to go to more things at, at schools or whatever that might be. And the fact that men are being asked that for the first time is a really powerful thing. So it's about how do we capitalize on that and, and not rush too quickly to try to go back into um, how things were before as well. So that, that's something that we, we spend a lot of our time focusing on at the moment. Shoshana, do you want to comment on that? I was just going to say that under kind of maternity leave, women, of course, are keeping in touch days. And those can be quite effective at giving you a structured chance to kind of get updates from work and kind of maintain those relations. But I think what's important there is, again, the control and flexibility. So when we talk about flexible working, what's really critical is that flexible working should be within the workers' control. And we actually, with this research with Santander, the uh, second survey, the RCT, was conducted whilst we were all kind of working from home um, under the first lockdown in the UK. And we took a very deliberate decision to kind of explain that when we asked people about flexible working, they should ignore the impact of COVID-19 because remote working didn't necessarily signal flexible working. Um, and I think, you know, that was kind of recognition on our part that the fact that you're at home doesn't mean you've got more control and more choice over how you work. And so there is this kind of dangerous territory. Um, some employees may want to do obviously more later in the evening and that is fine, but just making sure that employees do have this kind of ultimate ability to define what works as long as they can kind of perform their job. Um, and that they're not finding that they're giving up on family time and work is kind of seeping in if that's not what they want is, is equally important. And just in the few minutes that remain, I'm going to do one swing through the panel and just say, uh, if you had all the power in your hands and you could change one thing, uh, this is a question I ask people on my podcast too, uh, what, what, what would you do? What's the big, uh, one big thing that you would change? Uh, Ed, let's start with you. Well, I think I would have to say that I would do the the, the use it or lose it paid paternity leave um, because I think it would make a difference. And and you know, there's a really interesting thing in the chat from a single dad who said he just used to get funny looks because he was sort of the only dad in at the different groups there were or with the kids and so on. And you know, I, I don't want to sound like I'm just sort of in love with the Nordic countries, but. You know, it is true that when you go to the Nordic countries, it's very striking. You see a lot more fathers on the street pushing prams than you do, uh, you know, than you would in the UK. And, you know, I think there is something about, you know, I think it's been a fascinating conversation. I think there's something about law and policy and culture interact. And I think Shoshana's research shows that people respond to expectations and, uh I think it's, you know, I, I think this will come, by the way. I think the use it or lose it paid presentation will come. Theresa May advocates it. You know, I think it is going to happen. It's just a question of when. Shoshana. Um, I think another piece of the puzzle is probably childcare. So we're obviously really focused here on how to get people to take parental leave in the first place. But we also know that those next few years can be really difficult and expensive for parents in the UK. So, uh, yeah, kind of thinking about that, that part probably for me is, is the next thing to consider. Absolutely. And Drew? I think, yeah, it's similar. I was very tempted to, to copy Ed and say the use it or lose it or rip up, at least rip up what we have in the UK currently and start again and say, what do we want this to look like um, so that it can be much more equal? I think if I cover off from an organisational point of view, um, it might be looking at having something in place with each 
employee that you have that is a bit of a personal flexibility or, or well-being plan of some sort that covers off what will what is the best way to for you to uh, find that work-life balance whether it's caring responsibilities um, or how you want to work flexibly to look after your well-being day to day I think they're all fantastic points thank you what a great discussion and what a fabulous panel thank you and goodbye Podcast of One's Own is a production of the Global Institute for Women's Leadership at King's College London. The Institute works towards a world in which women of all backgrounds have fair and equal access to leadership. If you liked what you've been listening to, please tell your friends. We'd love it if you could also rate and review us with your preferred podcast provider to ensure more people can find out about us. If you have feedback or ideas of who you'd like to hear on the show, please email us at giwl at kcl.ac.uk. This podcast has been produced by Connie Blafari and edited by Nick Hilton. To stay up to date with the work of the Global Institute for Women's Leadership, visit our website at giwl.kcl.ac.uk and sign up to our updates. Thanks for listening and join us next time.